Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to a new Dialogues in Dermatology special series on leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Chen. Join me as I interview leadership experts on topics ranging from negotiation, communication, and adaptability to help dermatologists become confident and successful leaders in the field. Welcome everyone to another episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. Today we have a different topic than what we usually talk about, and this one is about leading by negotiation and communication with confidence. This is in our leadership series for Dialogues in Dermatology. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Marshila Devan. She is a wonderful speaker, someone who I personally got to hear at a leadership forum in the past. And we are in for a treat. I promise all of our listeners today that you are going to learn so much about the other stuff other than the dermatology. What are we going to focus on today is really talking about communication and really negotiation, things that we do on a day-to-day basis, but don't pay perhaps as much attention to. Marshila, it's so great to get to chat with you. Usually I'm interviewing dermatologists on this podcast, but you're different. So while I usually skip introductions, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about yourself and what exactly it is that you do? Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I always tell people good communication shouldn't be a matter of chance, but a matter of choice. And I was that kid that loved to talk, which is something that got me into trouble, but it also served me well as like high school debate team, various student government roles. I'm a California girl, I graduated from UCLA with a BA in poli-sci, and I got a teaching credential at UC Irvine and an MBA also at UC Irvine, California, focusing in and on strategic planning. I have been so lucky to work as a communication specialist for over 25 years within the medical and pharma industry. And my company is MD Communication Consulting. I think that's great. I think it's it's so helpful to know what your background is and what it is that you specialize in because it's mm-hmm. so different than what we usually talk about on dialogues. And so I really want to take advantage of our time together and dive right in and talk about some of the most high yield things that you can teach us as physicians, as dermatologists, just as people, honestly, in terms of how to be better at communicating. So I'm going to jump right in. And like I mentioned before, I was lucky enough to participate in one of your sessions at a leadership forum that the Academy put on a couple of years ago. And there's some tips that I will never forget, like the fig leaf is something that I will never forget when you were giving us our talks. And for the folks who are listening who don't know what that is, it's hard to describe, (laughs) but all I'll say is that Marshila is so good at helping you present yourself better on stage when you're giving a talk. And fig leaf is just one of those things that's stuck in my mind that I will never forget in terms of a tangible tip when I'm giving a talk. So for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of hearing Marshila present, she really leads this wonderful workshop teaching others how to present with confidence and effectiveness when public speaking. Now, I know that that's not all that you do, but if it's okay, let's start there. It's really hard over a podcast, but could you share some of the top tips that you think translate well to this medium for our dermatology listeners for how they can best present themselves when speaking with others when they're giving a talk? Absolutely. And I wanted to add, Stephen, that I've been so lucky. I've worked with AAD LDP program, the leadership program, 
for 14 years. Wow. Just doing a number of courses. But my favorite is the Communicating with Confidence course that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And for everybody, you know, your ability to communicate well is absolutely imperative. And it's in all venues. Being a strong communicator will give you a professional edge. It will help you project confidence and credibility. One quick tip is I would say always think about your presentation as a two-sided equation. You have the delivery on one end, and then you have the content on the other end. And what I've found over the years is that physicians really focus primarily on the content. And yet it doesn't take any time at all to have someone draw an impression of you. I'm going to go through a couple of tips for starting with eye contact. When you're face to face, it is really key for you to think about almost having a conversation. And we say eye to eye, make a point and then get to somebody else and make a point. And you shift your eyes where you have natural punctuation. And it sounds strange, but we do this all the time when we're in a conversation. If I'm talking to three people, I'm not trying to look at all three people at the same time. Really step back and think about this, especially later we'll talk a little bit about how these skills translate to your patients. But again, every time you go to make a point, make sure that you're making eye contact. Where is that discourse going? In terms of your voice, We want you to project your voice. I tell people, think about one being barely audible, 10 blowing out the lights. Stay in that range of six to eight. Not because I want you to be loud people, but that's where you're going to have natural animation. And if you had to pick between solid eye contact and voice, Stephen, which one would you pick? What do you think would give you the biggest bang for the buck? Having great eye contact or having a more animated voice? I mean, I would think an animated voice is going to carry more, but I'm happy to be wrong. (laughs) You are not wrong. You are right on the money. Our voice, especially in Western culture, tells people that you are confident. It's not your first rodeo. When we are too soft-spoken, adult learners have what we call a hearing rebellion. They just don't want to listen. They will check out. Now we're in this medium where we're doing hybrid meetings. We're having virtual, we're having discussions over the phone like we are today in the podcast. You have to have your voice more animated. It's not just the volume, it's the inflection, it's the pacing, all of those components. Another best practice is our gestures. You alluded to the fig leaf. And folks, the fig leaf, just think of a gentleman standing up crossing his hands over his private and a lot of people i call it figging they're not they're not using their gestures to gesticulate they're not painting pictures if you will what we do with our gestures we don't want them too big or too small and simply we say natural gestures whatever that means to you and then going to a neutral position natural neutral As far as your posture, you want to always be balanced. You want to stand upright. Too much fidgeting or moving ends up communicating to people that you are nervous. And what do you think are the ums, ahs, you know, 
all of those we call vocal pauses or fillers because we use them to fill the space. There's so many. Teenagers say things like, 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 you know, salespeople, I hear them saying, does that make sense? Does that make sense? That's their filler. It doesn't. We need to stop saying it. How do we get rid of them? We just simply pause. Marshila, if it's okay, I, I would love to hit pause just for a second because there's so many high yield tips that you just went over. And I kind of want to break it down, not only for our listeners, but to be totally honest for me, you know, I think the the eye contact one is something I will always remember because I am guilty of this too. When I get in front of a large crowd, when I'm giving a talk, for example, at the AED, it's so easy just to look out into the crowd and just sweep left and right and not really make direct eye contact with any one person. But ever since you gave that suggestion, I've really made it a concerted effort to do that. And so I think that's something for our listeners to realize is that you really literally pick someone out of the audience and just make direct eye contact with them and then move from person to person. Am I breaking that down right, Marshila? You are right on the money. If you retire, man, please come work for me. (laughs) That's it. And it's a misperception in a big group to sweep left to right. I actually call that windshield wipers. And you want to, again, find one person in that group, finish a thought with them. And what you're going to get is what we call the line of sight bonus. Let's say that person is in the middle of a group of 300. Everybody in front of them and everybody in back of them will believe that you are looking at them. But if you are doing what we call scanning, then that's going to be problematic. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you're in an airport and you see somebody and they're looking at you and this happened to me last week and I'm going, me, me? And it was this (laughs) super handsome young guy and I'm like, oh my goodness. And he's walking toward me. But what happened is he was looking at the beautiful blonde behind me. But I laughed to myself because I said, that is an example of the line of sight bonus. It appears he's looking at me because I'm in this crowd of people, but in fact, it was the person behind me. You never want to scan. Scanning almost, even if you're in a small group of three people or two people, when you're scanning and darting your eyes, it comes across like you're not trustworthy. Be very mindful of that. Yeah, that's such a great tip. I, your story is so, so funny. I mean, that's happened to all of us, right? I am I always have those cringy moments when I think someone is waving at me and I wave back <laughs> and they're actually trying to get the attention of someone behind me. But it's a great example of this line of sight bonus. So, you know, I think that eye contact tip is so helpful because it's also very easily done once you think about it before you give your talk. And I, for our listeners, something that I do that I find uh, at least helps me is that I will try to identify people I know in the crowd to start because then I know there's a friendly face, there's someone who then it really feels like I'm having a one-on-one conversation with that particular person when I move from person to person. And then if I don't know anyone, I think I naturally gravitate towards, I think we all know those people in the crowd who tend to nod more, who really follow along, who are Mm -hmm. a little bit more animated. I find it so much easier to anchor on those folks for my kind of rotation of eye contact Mm -hmm. recipients when I'm giving a talk. So I, I don't know if that's helpful for our listeners, but that's what I tend to do when I'm trying to do that. 
Yeah, Stephen, I think that's great. And everybody be careful, though, when you start with your friends, we call that Mm. anchors. It's great to start with them, but then move beyond them. One time, you know, I see a lot of people that will just stay with those three friends and people pick up on it. Start there, move on. If you don't know anybody, the best way in the beginning of a presentation is to extend yourself and just meet people. It yeah. will lessen your nervousness. And that way you can actually start by saying, I've had an opportunity to meet a number of you. For those of you, I haven't. And boom, you're off and running. What a wonderful tip. That's great. And then the voice tip that you had about being between a six and an eight. Naturally, of course, I think we all want to project and we want to be heard and obviously well-spoken and understood. Another tip that I've learned from from someone else that I really have come to internalize a lot when I'm about to give a talk is I actually make a point to go meet the AV person in the back of the room. And I want to really, I want to get to know their name specifically so that if something happens with the AV, I can call them out by name. So I can say, Hey, Matt, Hey, Chris, can you help me out here? I don't think my microphone is picking me up because it gets awfully awkward when you're waving at someone whose name you don't know. And so that's something that I try to do as well. And that way there's someone else who is listening out for how you're projecting in the room as well, because the last thing you want to do is be too loud. And then they turn down your microphone because you're deafening. Perfect. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And when I started, I said, you know, it's a two-sided equation. You have the content and then the delivery. We're focusing on the delivery, Mm. but, but quickly from a content standpoint, just simply think I need to overview my content, overview, give a few details, and then always the bottom line. Think of just those three buckets. What's my overview? I'm going to give two or three details, but most importantly, how I, how am I going to articulate the bottom line of my message? That's great. Yeah. And then the other tip you gave was about the fig leaf and trying to go from natural to neutral and using gesticulations that aren't too wild. I still want to hear more about other tips that you have. I will just share that you are the main reason that now, whenever I give a talk, I actually specifically ask to see if they have a lav mic just because I find it limits me less in terms of gesticulating. For our listeners who perhaps haven't heard that before, lav mic is just the mic that you put on your lapel or on your like you basically pin to your clothes so that you don't have to be carrying what I affectionately call a rock star mic. You don't have to carry a mic in your phone the whole time when you're speaking, just so it frees you up. I don't know if you have other tips in terms of freeing yourself up so that you can gesticulate in an effective way. I do. And I absolutely love that you're sharing that because I always say for the speaker, get the environment the way that you want it. And then you're going to feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. when you have the lavalier mic, excuse me, get the environment the way you want it. When you have the lavalier mic, you can use your hands more naturally. Some of the things that I see that people do that kind of are a big giveaways that they're nervous is they clamp on to the lectern. And I always say, when I see that, it's like they're taking a jet ski into the ocean. You don't want to do the clamp on. You want to, we call it clearing the podium. You want to use your hands naturally above the lectern. When you're done, you're going to dangle them. If you have nothing in front of you and you don't have a lectern, 
try to avoid what we call the felon. The felon is when you take your hands and put them behind you, or some people call that parade rest. Other kind of faux pas is when people keep their arms bent, and we call that the broken arms. So what do you do, right? I'm telling you all the things not to do. Think about how comfortable you are when you're just talking with friends. You're using your hands naturally. You're kind of painting pictures with your words, but then you relax them. You don't go to prayer or many people spider on the wall. You're just using them and then losing them, dangling them at your side, always thinking about open posture. If you could visualize a line down your body, you want to gesture toward the line and away from the line and then relaxing your arms. That's so great. That's very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to the workshop that you led for us and again, a huge plug for people to participate if you're able to. Marshila literally had each of us get up in front of everyone else and give these mini talks and would critique us in the most loving, constructive way, <laughs> would critique us and point out what we were doing wrong. And I think the, one of the most helpful things in that session was pointing out when we were using filler words yes. and having us start over and to try again so that you just pause instead of using those filler words. That was such a helpful exercise. And the bottom line is that you can do that yourself. And so sometimes if I'm about to give, I, you know, I don't do this for every talk that I'm about to give, but if it's a pretty big one, that's important. I will kind of go through the exercise myself of trying to do that at home, just trying to get rid of those filler words to streamline as much as possible. Yes. And one thing in getting rid of the filler words is just being prepared, right? Prepare, 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 fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And another thing, the fillers, the ums and the ahs are very predictable. They will always be the first words out of your mouth and there will be where there is natural punctuation. Most people, before they talk, they'll go, um, ah, uh, it's because they're thinking out loud. Clamp down your lips, don't say a word, access what you're thinking about, then open your mouth and speak. As you connect one thought to the next, just don't insert that um, or so, or ah, uh, all of those non-words. That's so helpful, Mar Marshila. I, you know, one one thing that struck me though is that it feels a little bit different sometimes when I'm giving a talk for the purposes of sharing, for example, my research, versus when I'm giving a talk that's more oratorical nature, more kind of off the cuff or just not as grounded in all these charts and data and tables. Do you have any tips or advice for folks when it's more of a research talk when you're really kind of going through a lot of data for your audience? Absolutely. I think for those type of talks, we have to ask ourselves, what is it we want the audience to remember, understand, believe, or actions that you want them to take? You need to be sure to share information that is absolutely supported by evidence. But don't get lost in the weeds. Everybody does not want to go on your research journey with you. Don't do that data dump. The other thing is share information that is relevant for the discussion. If you're only given eight minutes, it is not the opportunity to have 25 slides. Figure out the best way and do your audience analysis. 
are they your peers? Are they practitioners? Are they residents? And then tailor that information. And then finally, I think it's imperative to be clear, be organized, watch the jargon, kind of slow down your pacing. If you use a variety of slides, charts, graphs, pictures, it's going to be a lot more of a positive experience for everybody. Be honest if you don't know the answer, especially when it comes to your research. And then in that answer, don't generalize. Just be honest and say, I don't know. It wasn't something that we looked at. That's so helpful. Very tangible tips. And I mean, I will be the first to admit that I am guilty of having too many slides on some of those talks. So a great reminder. If it's okay, I'd love to focus in a little bit more on an individual level. And I think something that I always think about is, you know, part of this session is about negotiation. And so, you know, whether it's negotiating or not, or whether it's just trying to communicate more clearly, do you have any other changes or tips that you have when it's on a perhaps one-on-one -on -one level with patients, with staff, with peers, whether it's about teaching your patient about how to do something, how to do a self-skin check, how to apply sunscreen, or maybe if it's simply about negotiating for a salary or for another MA to help you in clinic, whatever it might be, what tips do you have when it's on a smaller scale, a one-on-one -on -one level? Yes, on a one-on-one -on -one level, a personal example really stands out to me. I had had an accident where I hurt my finger. I was with a physician friend who's an ophthalmologist, and I finally have to go to the doctor and I go to a hand specialist. I am waiting so long. I'm so angry. And yet this physician turned everything around based on his one-on-one -on -one skill set. Mm -hmm. He goes into the room and immediately sees I'm angry. His greeting was everything, friendly, smiling. I wanted to dislike him, but I couldn't. Positive body language, everything that we're talking about. The tips that I think that he did that were stellar was he read the situation. I think one-on-one -on -one or small groups, we have to read the situation. He used a lot of open-ended questions with me. What happened? Describe your pain. He was very attentive. He didn't rush. And then he summarized the discussion. I think when we are dealing with peers, family, staff, the tip is be respectful. Think about how you want to be treated. Be attentive and strive to build that rapport. Show interest and warmth, especially if it's people working with you every day. Don't say you're listening when you're multitasking doing something else. Be empathetic. Try to really understand where that person's coming from. And then more importantly, clarify what you think that you've heard. How we would connect this to negotiating is all of these skill sets about communication we were talking about are key. And yet negotiating can be nerve wracking. It, but anytime you want something from someone else, you are negotiating. And it's important to not see it as something that, oh my God, this is going to be hard. But negotiation is not an event. It's really a process. And how you're successful with that process is really advanced planning. And I'm going to pause there, Stephen, just to see sure. if you have any thoughts. That's super helpful, Marshila. One specific thing when it comes to negotiation is that 
the reason I think it's so nerve wracking for all of us is one, we don't want to ask for something and not get it, but also because it often comes with this inherent power differential that exists between yourself and whomever you're negotiating with. Does that change how you approach things, that potential power differential that you do see in negotiation, or do you still approach it the same way? I think it's important to approach it the same way because in negotiating, it's really you getting what you deserve and being decent about trying to get it. Uh, It's never good to negotiate something just for the purpose of trying to improve a relationship because it's going to go bad. And then we can't really measure our success by how far or how much the other party has moved. I think that it's important for us to realize that two essential elements. One is being reasonable and flexible. And so in the planning, I tell people, one, establish your objectives, establish the other person's objectives, and really frame that negotiation as a joint search for a solution. What are the areas that you can agree upon? And then begin to kind of troubleshoot. Within that troubleshooting, you are bargaining and trying to seek alternatives and solutions and trade-offs. And it's always not about money. Sometimes maybe you want to negotiate protective time, but I think that you have to really think about it as a joint search for a solution. Once you've gotten that agreement, then make sure that you summarize assure that both people are accepting of that agreement. That's that's wonderful. Um, well, Marshila, we have uh, spent uh, some time now covering so much more than I was expecting to. And it's been so helpful, I hope for our listeners, but even just for me, it's been great getting to chat with you on a one-on-one level and really get a review of all the great tips that you have for us when it comes to communicating in groups, communicating one-on-one, a little bit about negotiation too. Do you have any last minute tips or advice for our listeners before we sign off? Just really think about getting involved in the Leadership Institute. They have two new programs. They have what's called the URM, underrepresented in Minority Leadership Development Program, and there is a underrepresented minority resident workshop that's also starting up. As it relates to your communication, everybody, all these tips, take one, work on it, then incorporate another one. And remember, if we can communicate well, we can influence people. If we can influence people, we can change lives. Really appreciate being on the show today. Marshila, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Dialogues. We'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.